Hello, and welcome to the first episode of Dr. J's Shakespeare. I'm Dr. J. Shakespeare has had an important place in Western culture for over 300 years, though not without objection. In more proper times, his plays have often been thought too wild. Today, some question if his plays are really relevant or really accessible to modern readers. Both cultural conservatives and cultural progressives question Shakespeare's morality, from my conservative Christian high school biology teacher denouncing Franco Zeffirelli's movie of Romeo and Juliet for showing a real 15-year-old girl naked in bed with a 16-year-old boy, to feminists today denouncing it for, well, showing a real 15-year-old girl naked in bed. Such objections are healthy, for when we take Shakespeare's worth for granted, we cease to see what's actually there. My own belief, which I've had at least since I was a college student 50 years ago, is that Shakespeare's plays give us, in addition to pleasure, what the critic Kenneth Burke called equipment for living. This belief, that Shakespeare's plays provide us equipment for living, is why I taught Shakespeare's plays for 40 years, and it's why I've chosen to do this podcast. My emphasis in Dr. J's Shakespeare will be on Shakespeare as a dramatic poet. Unlike a lyric poet, Shakespeare never is telling us what he thinks. At least we can never assume he is. His words are written for characters in dramatic situations, in plays being performed on a stage. They are what that character says in that situation and need to be understood as such. Sometimes we identify with a character and situation and thus feel the words are words expressing our own thoughts and feelings, and that's a cherished feature of knowing Shakespeare. But that's different from knowing what Shakespeare himself might have thought. Let's take a well-known example of a speech we might think expresses Shakespeare's thought. It comes from Shakespeare's play, As You Like It, which is the play I'll be focused on in this first episode. The speech begins, All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. Shakespeare wrote these familiar words, but not necessarily to express his own thoughts, and I'm quite certain that they don't. They are spoken by a character named Jaques, and to understand them, we need to understand what the character Jaques represents in As You Like It. So let's turn to that question and put off his famous speech until later. Jaques, in my view, is the second most important character in As You Like It, and the play would not equip us for living as it does without his presence. But if you know the play, you might think this an odd thing for me to say. Jake Weiss doesn't actually do anything in the play. I could tell you the plot of the play down to the least detail and never mention him at all. The different pairs of lovers come to their marriages without his involvement. The opposed pairs of brothers come to their reconciliations without his involvement. 
So what's Jaquees doing in the play at all? He is the melancholy Jaquees, so-called repeatedly throughout the play. From what I've briefly said about marriages and reconciliations, you might rightly gather that As You Like It is a comedy, a play in which the difficulties of life are worked out. To turn a term I don't actually like on its head, we might say that Jaquees provides tragic relief in an otherwise happy play. Jaquees is one who sees the folly of human endeavors and even the folly of existence and refuses to participate. He is anti-sentimentality personified. He is, in a word, the antagonist of As You Like Its Hero, Rosalind, the play's most important character. Even more, Jaquees is the antagonist of the play itself. This isn't to say Jaquees is the villain of the play. He isn't. The play has two villains, each the bad half of a pair of brothers, who throw impediments in the way of the good characters, Rosalind Chief among them. Through intelligence and determination and goodwill, Rosalind brings not only herself, but all the play's characters to fulfillment, all that is but Jaquees. He remains the counterweight that an optimistic world must acknowledge and accept if it's to be something more than fantasy. Jaquees isn't the antagonist of Rosalind in terms of plot, but of being. In his melancholy, Jaquees has withdrawn from life. By contrast, Rosalind engages with life with all its difficulties, and it is her engagement with life that triumphs. For all I've said of their opposition, the opposition at the heart of the play, and I think at the heart of all of Shakespeare's plays, Rosalind and Jaquees appear on stage at the same time only twice, and only in their first meeting do they speak to each other. This is the scene I'll read. It takes place, as does all of the play after the first act, in the forest of Arden, where Rosalind has fled for her safety with her cousin Celia. She has disguised herself as a boy, though a boy old enough to buy a sheep farm. Her exiled father is also living in the forest, as is the young man she loves, who has also fled for his safety. Neither her father nor her love knows Rosalind's true identity, as she is keeping it a secret until she can make the time right to reveal herself. The melancholy Jaquees is also there in the forest, a friend of her father's. The scene begins with Rosalind, Celia, and Jaquees walking together in the woods. Their conversation is brief and inconsequential, melancholy on Jaquees' side and lighthearted on Rosalind's side. But in it we see their different ways of being in the world. We also see to the heart of life. Jaquees speaks first. Jaquees, I prithee, pretty youth, let me be better acquainted with thee. Rosalind, they say you are a melancholy fellow. Jaquees, I am so. I do love it better than laughing. Rosalind, those that are in extremity of either are abominable fellows, 
and betray themselves to every modern censure worse than drunkards. Jaquees, why, tis good to be sad and say nothing. Rosalind, why then, tis good to be a post. Jaquees, disregarding Rosalind's rebuke, proudly continues to explain his melancholy using the language of pharmacy. Jaquees, my melancholy is a melancholy of mine own, compounded of many simples, extracted from many objects, and indeed the sundry contemplation of my travels, in which my often rumination wraps me in a most humorous sadness. Rosalind, a traveler, by my faith you have great reason to be sad. I fear you have sold your own lands to see other men's. Then to have seen much and to have nothing is to have rich eyes and poor hands. Jaquees, yes, I have gained my experience. Rosalind, and your experience makes you sad. I had rather have a fool to make me merry than experience to make me sad, and to travel for it, too. At this point, Rosalind's love, Orlando, appears. Orlando, good day and happiness, dear Rosalind. Jaquees, knowing that goony love talk is coming, takes his leave. Nay, then, God be with you if you talk in blank verse. Jaquees now exits, and the play returns to its plot. Rosalind, disguised as a boy pretending to be Rosalind, in order to both instruct Orlando in what a relationship requires and to search out the truth of his heart. So what is this brief exchange between Rosalind and Jaquees doing in the play? It's the sort of scene that directors, worried about the audience looking at its watch, tend to cut. But doing so would be a great mistake. Jaquees and Rosalind in this encounter embody the alternatives we all face in life, sometimes even as children, but certainly at some point, to withdraw from life, as Jaquees has, or to engage with life, as Rosalind does. Bob Dylan, more recently than Shakespeare, expressed the same alternatives and their urgency when he memorably sang, he not busy being born is busy dying. When Jaquees declares that, "'Tis good to be sad and say nothing," Rosalind immediately responds, "'Why then, 'tis good to be a post." When Jaquees says he has had experience to make him sad, Rosalind replies that she would rather have a fool to make her merry than experience to make her sad. When Jaquees sees that their serious discussion, at least in his eyes, is going to yield to the blank verse of wooing, he departs, but Rosalind turns to her love to make the wooing work. Why then, tis good to be a post, is one of my favorite lines in Shakespeare. Of course, it's not good to be a post. I, for one, what with my natural leanings toward Jaquees' state of mind, need always to be reminded of that. But all of us need the reminder Rosalind gives us, as well as the vibrant example she gives us 
of successfully engaging with life despite life's challenges and difficulties. There are many ways of withdrawing from life, from being bitter to being carefree, from drinking and drugs to fooling with guns to watching too much television or spending too much time on the internet. Rosalind has reason to grieve, as she says to Celia in Act One, but chooses not to dwell there. Instead, she acts to transform the world around her into one more hospitable to her full being. So, what of Jaquie's speech beginning, all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players? These lines embody Jaquie's melancholy attitude toward life, but why am I confident that these are not words Shakespeare himself ever uttered, though I don't doubt he heard them said in the theatrical world he was immersed in? The key word is merely. If Shakespeare really thought that human beings are merely anything, he couldn't have engaged with them enough to be able to write his plays. His plays are too full of life, too full of good humor and intense struggle to have been written by Jaques. Yet, perhaps I shouldn't be quite so confident. Perhaps I ought to pause here to give Jaques his full weight in the play and not simply reject his tragic vision. After all, Rosalind's father is a wise man, and when told that the melancholy Jaques is fuming against the world, he says, Come, show me where he is. I love to cope him in these sullen fits, for then he's full of matter. And perhaps at a low time, Shakespeare himself felt as Jaques feels. Shakespeare, after all, turns from the comic vision of As You Like It to the darker vision of the great tragedies, beginning with the story of Hamlet, the melancholy Dane, who puts the alternatives presented by Rosalind and Jaques in their starkest fashion, to be or not to be. Hamlet feels himself caught between these alternatives, and like all Shakespeare's great tragic figures, lets himself slide from life to death. I used to ask my students, as a way of review at the end of the semester, which Shakespeare character they thought I would most like to be. Hamlet, they would most often say, the tragic, self-pitying hero. For two centuries, this was indeed the choice of sensitive romantic poets and would-be sensitive romantic poets the world over, like English professors. But no, I would tell them with a smile, the character I would most like to be is Rosalind, which they thought funny, because after all, I'm a guy. But gender doesn't always matter, or even often matter. Rosalind's wit, intelligence, resourcefulness, and determination to live fully despite the world against her are for all to aspire to. The second most of Shakespeare's characters that I would like to be is a guy, Kent in King Lear. I will turn to him in the next episode of Dr. J. Shakespeare. Until then, I'm Dr. J.